Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 39 of Drive-by Cinema. The podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to. With me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. Hello, everybody. Yeah, uh, welcome to uh, another dose of a, probably medicine that you don't want to take. Another dose, I see. Uh, a, a relapse, as it were. A weekly relapse <laughs> of a disease that we can't shake. Exactly, yeah. Can't quite get can't quite get back to normal on this one. We have long DBC, as, as the doctors call it. Long DBC, yeah. Richard, shall we just jump to the taste, chase, and not jump to the taste, but jump to the chase, and ask Richard, the venerable Richard, are there corrections and omissions that we need to deal with from the previous week? Oh boy, are there. And how. Oh, fucking hell. I was asking that in the expectation there wasn't going to be. You're always hopeful. I love your optimism, Paul. Mm. But uh, do you really, have you got nothing? You, you've got nothing that you feel ashamed about that we said? That we'll... Well, well, I didn't call a cacophony a crescendo. So I think in that <laughs> sense. Listen, Paul. I want you to. I want to remind us about something we both said. Oh, hellfire! We were, oh yeah, that's right. We were talking about the gravity on the moon and whether there was tides, as it were, on the moon. Gravity tides, yeah. We said what tides are. Gravity tides. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. That was true. Yeah. We didn't make a mistake there, but we did kind of suggest we were free. We were freewheeling, and we were talking about the relative, like effects of the other body, and when you're standing on the moon versus when you're standing on the Earth. So obviously yeah. when you're staying on the Earth, we know that the moon is affecting the water, that is the tides. It's affecting yeah. us as well, but it's quite a small Not just effect. the moon, the sun as well, apparently. Yeah, to a lesser extent, true. That's why this, But why are there two tides a day? It must be something else. No. Oh, wow, this is really interesting then, tides. So, oh, we can get into this. But this is just to say, let's, let's first fix the previous error, right? Which was, we, we suggested, we just... And it was on a hunch, and I think we were assuming things would cancel out in some cute way, that the the effect you would feel standing on the Earth from the moon would be the same as the effect you would feel standing on the moon from the Earth. And it would be. No. No, it would not. Is it not GMM over R squared? Yes, it is, but the, the M is different in each case, isn't it? The effect you would feel when you're standing on the moon from the Earth is about 100 times bigger than the effect you would feel on the Earth from the Moon. Because the Earth is much bigger, it's much more massive. So one of those two M's is much bigger. Look, <laughs> just correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it's Newton's third law. They must, they must experience counterpart forces. Oh, yes, they do, they do. Science. On each other, yes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we're talking here about, say, you standing on the Moon... What you would feel from the what Earth. What I would feel from the Earth, of course, yes. Now, ah. now, the Earth, I'm sorry, the Moon obviously has no water on it. It would have tides, I suppose. Huge tides, therefore. Except it wouldn't, would it? Because the tidal forces have already done their job and finished effectively on the Moon. Because the Moon is, is locked. It's, or it's tidally locked. Oh. It, it's it always facing us, right? How has that happened? Be because of tides. In the past, the moon may have been spinning at a different rate. 
<laughs> but as it span, like over or under the Earth, as it were, there would be a kind of drag effect of yes. the Earth, which is the tidal force. And there would be a kind of bulge that kind of slightly retards the rotation. And over a long period of time, that tiny retardation of the rotational force caused by the bulge made by the tidal forces would cause the moon to synchronise with the Earth. And, you know, this is ultimately the fate of all stably orbiting satellites, that they they ought to end up tidally locked with the larger body over time because of the tidal effects, ultimately. Wow. Now, the tidal forces on the moon are slowing it down, which means it's moving away from us, moving further and further away quite slowly, but nonetheless it is moving away. Well, that's cleared up. <laughs> so, no, you asked about two tides. I think it's obvious, is it not, why there is a high tide at full moon. When the moon is directly over you, as it were. Not at full, of course. It's not full yeah. moon, is it? But you know what I mean. When the moon's over you, there's going to be a high tide where you are, because obviously the gravitational effect of the moon, as we're discussing, is tugging all of the water up into a pile, effectively, near where you are. But, if you think about it, on the other side of the planet, at the antipo- antipode, as it were... So there's a big swell of water being dragged to the moon, yeah? Yes, so if you drew, if you drew the water level around your Earth, you'd get a big swell pushing off to the left, and it, yeah. would, be, it would be shallower to the top and bottom on your diagram. Absolutely, yeah. So now we need to think about the other side, the right-hand side of the Earth. Oh, the antipode. The far side of the moon. Yeah. The far side of the Earth. The far side of the Earth from the moon, that's right. And if you think What happened to the far side? It was a good cartoon series. I don't care what people say. It ran out of fashion, I know, but it's still quite good. Sorry, Richard. Yeah, okay. So the Antipodethian. Yes. So on the right there, there is another bulge caused by... The Earth is spinning. No, okay, sorry, let's get let's do the proper explanation for this. We have to be really careful. The Earth is spinning the Earth spinning does fling the water out of the equation ah, compared to the North Pole though. Yes, it does, yeah. But I want you to think about what is like a washing machine. What's the centre like of rotation dryer. between top loading spin drive. What's the sorry, go on. What's the centre of rotation between the Earth and the Moon? Oh god. It's gonna be the centre of mass, isn't it? Yes. And that's not the centre of the Earth, although the Earth is more massive. It's not even between the two. I think it's somewhere within the Earth, but quite a long right. way over toward the Moon. Mm-hmm. Consequently, the water on the far side, the antipode, is being flung out by sort of centrifugal forces. <laughs> yeah, okay. It, it, obviously, right. centrifugal forces are sort of illusory, aren't they, if you like? But nonetheless, in a frame of reference that we're looking at, if you if you want to consider the centre of mass as the centre of rotation, then, yeah, the, the, the water on the outside of the Earth is being flung outwards by the spinning of these bodies. That's brilliant. And so you get two tides a day. But they're kind of always like, it's always 26 hours for a tide, not 24, isn't it? They kind of loop over a day and an hour or a day and two hours. Very complicated. Really variably. Very complicated. Really variably, you know, in a really awful way that can't be followed. Well, it can be followed. There is a very complicated set Could equations. the Mayans follow it? Did the Aztecs follow it? Did the Incas follow it? No, probably not. No, they didn't. It needs lots That's of... why they're not maritime greats, It probably they? needs a lot of partial differential equations or something, but... That's why they're landlocked empires. The reason is because the water has to flow around all the land masses. 
and uh-huh. it, you know, there's drag and stuff, and so as a consequence. Uh-huh. And that means that you know the tide is not equal all over the world. In the UK, actually, we have pretty high tides because partly because of the topology of the area, you know, and all of those little nooks and crannies around the island kind of funnel the the change in water up. And ah, funnels. That's why we have big tidal bores like the uh, seven, you know, the seven tidal bore, isn't it? It's famously. It is. Right. Okay. So that's a major correction, I think. However, going in there, when I first mentioned the idea, because I think I brought it up, I was going to say that the force you would feel on the moon was bigger, but then I thought, wait a minute, uh, opposite and equal forces, and I corrected myself right at the start, whereas I think I should have just run with the idea. Yeah, you were right. Your hunch was right, Paul. I should have run with the idea always in soft planning. Always throw your ideas against the wall. Don't. Do not cut down your ideas before they've had a chance to grow. Laugh at them later would be my other. Well, I've got way more to talk about, Paul, but I think we've done we've, we've done enough with time. No, go on, one more. Tell us one more. Tell us one more. Tell us one more egregious error. It's good. It will take too long. It'll take too long. Oh. It's it's not an error actually. It's just something we looked into. I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll do it on the next episode. How about that? Because what we'll do is we'll agree not to make any more mistakes in this episode. Oh, forgot that. And <laughs> and then we'll be clear. We'll just have more errors to do from previously. My next episode. How about that? Richard, are you telling me that it's time to move on to this week's movie? What do you think, Paul? Are we ready to? I think it's a good idea. Well, that means we have to play your music. Thank you. Paul, it's 2014, and Jonathan Glazer adapts a book by... Michel or Michael Faber? Yes, he does. Now, I don't know who Michael Faber is, but he wrote the book. And he, he's the author. And he called he it... Well done, Michael. Under the Skin. Good job. Yes, 2013 film. But I think it's 2014 in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I think mm. so. It says 2014 on Amazon or whatever I watched it on. But it says 2013 on IMDb. Does it? So what else had Jonathan Glazer done? That's the question. You're asking me things that I cannot answer. He'd done Sexy Beast, which I think is quite a famous one. And then he seems to have done a lot of uh, music videos. Wow. Like he's mostly a music video director. He is. Uh, he did some of Radiohead stuff. I think you can yeah. see that influence in his work, can't you? You mean it's brainless? No. No, I didn't say that. I, I know what you mean. He tells a story with pictures, doesn't he? He does, yeah. In fact, there's not really very much dialogue in this entire film, is there? There are whole no. sequences that go past, minutes that go past without anyone saying anything, really, in the dialogue. Before I'd watched Betty Blue in its entirety, I imagined Betty Blue to have this kind of vibe, <laughs> which it doesn't. It's true. Mm. Yeah, there, it, there's some parallels, though, actually, yeah. There are a few, yeah. It stars Scarlett Johansson. Is she somebody famous now? Paul, she's Black Widow from the Avengers, the Marvel but Cinematic she, Universe. I mean, but what I'm saying is she wasn't famous at this point, was she? Yes, she was. She's all, she'd already been in a couple of Marvel movies already by the time she was cast for this. Had she? Although, apparently this film was like in development for four years. And I think Scarlett was on the hook for that period. And she was kind of wanting wow. to make it with Jonathan. She'd sign the contract. Well, I think she was keen on the idea. It's quite a role for Scarlet, this, I think. 
It's a challenging role. We'll get, probably get onto that in, in, in a short while. Can I just say, this movie, before we do our own reviews and scores of it, has won so many accolades and, and you know, peer respect. It was named as one of the BBC's 100 great, greatest films of the 21st century. So, okay, admittedly only maybe about 15 or 20 years of filmmaking during, you know, at the time they, they, they took that It's pop. early to call but it. still, course, yeah. it is early to call it, but still 61st of all the movies made in, you know, presumably 15 or 20 years when they took the pole. I mean, that's 16 years of filmmaking. Whoa, I mean, that's that's quite a big call, isn't it, really, to, to, to say that about a movie? So. Can it be justified? Well, we'll find out. Nonetheless, before we get into the details of the movie, uh, despite that big billing from the pundits and from the critics, it didn't do too well at the box office. Big budget, really, uh, for the kind of movie that it is. £8 million, that's $13 million at the time, but only rakes in $7 million at the box office. So... For an artsy kind of movie, artsy sci-fi movie, uh, not particularly big flop, but a flop nonetheless. Not a belly flop, but that Venn diagram you're describing—the artsy sci-fi movie—that's mm. a tricky area, it's, isn't it? Well, this is artsy sci-fi horror. Horror, yeah, apparently. yeah. There are some contenders in that category. The obvious one there being Kubrick with 2001. I was gratified to see that when I looked at what other people were saying about this film. Yeah. It was the same as something I wrote down in my notes, which was, this is Kubrick-like. When did you last see 2001? A Space Odyssey. When did I last see Kubrick? Yeah. <sighs> when did I last see Kubrick? 2001. Let me put you out of your misery, Paul. I, on TV once, BBC Two. About 15 years ago. I went to see it in the cinema in one of the, you know, art house cinema things that rerun it. And it's quite an experience in the cinema, as you can imagine. One thing you notice, though, about 2001, when you look at it again, is how completely different the pacing is. Now, I mean, I'm sure that would have been true anyway of Kubrick's film, and I'm sure he wanted to pace it in that way. But I think it's also true that overall, in general, cinema movies have changed the pacing and the way they do edits. You know, these days, things are edited quickly, you know, Fast cuts are how everything happens. Not not just not just movies. I mean, I was watching some Tom Baker, Tom Baker Doctor Who, the Robots of Death uh, uh, on Forces TV, which apparently is supposed to be about the Armed Forces, but is it's just reruns. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's some good reruns on there, you know. Uh, Return of the Saint. I was so in love with Return of the Saint as a kid, and watching it now, I've just managed to realise just how bad it is. But Doctor Who, one of course, the sets are famously kind of kind of shaky. Like the Tom Baker era. Uh, two, they're very, very imaginative, you know, creating sort of... This was about a, a uh, quarry, a qu- planetary <laughs> uh, mine excavation kind of thing. And they sort of use a toy digger and grains of sand to be like falling rocks, you know, as it's mine. But still really, really, really convincing. But what one thing I did notice was how slow it was in comparison to anything we watch on TV today. So, so yeah, definitely, I mean, Cut times have come down to, I think, in movies to about eight seconds. I think cut times in TV, I've seen cut times are about about six seconds these days. And of course, music videos, I think, are down to about two or three seconds these days. So, yeah. In 2001, you know, there are sequences that are held for so long, partly because, you know, you're supposed to be drinking and I think the spectacle of the 
mm-hmm. space exploration or the vastness of the vacuum of space, but drinking up the atmosphere. For a modern audience, it's quite jarring. You know, it's like it's a bit watching like yes, like watching a kind of visual <laughs> wallpaper. Yeah, this film is not afraid. Jonathan Glazer is not afraid to hold a shot for a long time and let it. <laughs> Play out, let it speak for itself. You're laughing, Paul. Sorry. Well, no, I'm just trying to correct myself before next week. I didn't mean scene cuts. I meant I meant shortcuts. Ah, shortcuts. I think are under ten. Different seconds. though. But sorry. Yeah. We'll talk about that next week. You're already. We can't review next week's film now, Paul. We haven't even decided what it is officially. Officially, I think we know what it's going to be. Anyway, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett is amazingly fit in this film. It's just. It's. It's painful. <laughs> to look at her, honestly. That's a really painful way. It's a teenage painful rearrange yourself kind of thing. Or... Well, she spends a good majority, well, not the majority, but a good part of this movie naked and carries it off incredibly well. And one of the reasons why I think this is a difficult movie for Scarlett is, you know, she's not normally naked in her movies. Rough. And yeah. in this, it's it's a major part of it. And it's part of the, the plot of the, you know, it's not purely gratuitous, although maybe partly gratuitous. Right. The movie starts with, I think it's blackness, isn't it, at the start? And we're hearing yeah. Scarlett's voice, and she's reciting words as if she might be rehearsing them, maybe, or getting them wrong. Maybe they're not proper words yet, which is quite creepy. And we then see a motorcyclist driving around, and he stops He stops via a white van. He goes down a, an embankment. He picks up the body of a woman in a fireman's lift kind of thing, and he puts it in the back of the van. Yeah. Creepy. Very creepy. One of the reasons why this movie, I think, is lauded is it evokes immense creepiness, almost effortlessly, it seems. But it does it again and again. I think, like, they waited for the weather. It's suffused in in damp Scottish drizzle throughout. They probably didn't have to wait very long, did they? (laughs) I was going to say, they waited for the weather, but they probably didn't have to wait so many days for it. But I think that really adds to the the choice of waiting for the weather rather than shooting any of it on a sunny day. It really uh, really adds to the general ambiance of the movie. Well, we don't know that yet. We're not sure that it is yet. It becomes obvious later, but this is in Scotland. And I, I did want to ask why you thought he chose to film it in Scotland. You think the book is set in Scotland? I don't know, but it kind of felt very wild at times. There's a real wild feeling to lots of the shots in city and out in the back of beyond. You know, there's one. There's, there's one point where she joins a gaggle of girls on a girls' night out. There's an urban jungle feel too. The, the it's the like the, bits, the, yeah. it's like they're herded cattle. You know, it's like it's there's a real wild animal feeling to it all, and I think. There's a sense that everybody's operating outside, not law, but outside of any rules. There's, there's a very, there's a weird sense of unhingedness to everything. And I think you might get that with the solitude of Scotland. The frontier town kind of thing going on. Yes. It is moody because of the, the weather, the climate. I think that's true. So also, I think, as you discussed, it's a film that crosses from like urban settings into rural settings during the course of the mm. film. And I think you might need somewhere like Scotland. You couldn't have done this like in the southeast very easily, could you? When they're walking alone on roads, wet roads, yeah. you know, at the edge of a village, you couldn't do that in the Chilterns no. or, you know, or it just wouldn't feel wild, would it? Whereas here you get a real sense that anything could happen and murders could happen 
and horrible things could happen if you're just 30 yards or 50 yards away from from the rest, you know, from the warm lights of the village civilization, you see. So there's, there's a real sense of being on the boundary of wildness, I think, and it, it does play quite well to the movie, to the needs of the movie. It's quasi-Scandinavian in that sense, but I think yes. the urban bits and the interactions with the people, there is something intrinsically Scottish about that, but maybe that might be me being, being nationalistic. <laughs> we'll get to that, though. So the next scene in the movie is a completely white space. No features, and there's a a body in this white space, and I think we assume it's the dead woman that the motorcyclist picked up. And we have a naked Scarlett Johansson in that white space, standing over the body, and she is stripping the dead body down, taking her clothes off and wearing them. Once she's completed that job, she bends down one last time and she picks up an ant that was seemingly crawling. I didn't see that. Yeah, and she holds it on her on her hand and she looks at this ant in sort of fascination and extra creepy we look back down at the dead inverted commas woman's face and she's weeping did you notice that did you miss that I didn't notice that whoa man we then cut to a block of flats and again this is like pure kind of Scotland we're seeing her outside the block of flats in the van the motorcycle oh, guy is pulling his bike out of the back. Scarlett Johansson gets in the van to drive. Yes. And she goes shopping. I assume this was Glasgow. I'm not familiar enough with that. She's in a city, isn't no, she? No, she goes shopping. She does other things in the van. But mostly, plot spoiler, she drives around on Man Beaver patrol, basically. She's looking out for Man Beaver, isn't she? Yeah, she drives around the estate. She stops guys to ask for directions. Now... I don't know whether you... Re- kind of flirts with him a little bit, but in a really weird way. She, She's amazing at flirting. Amazing at flirting, I think. Would you be immune to the siren's call? Uh, immune to the siren's call? No, I don't Would think... Would you be lured in? I think what would happen if that happened to me is that I would be so shocked and surprised that I would fail to realise that, you know, what was happening until 20 or 30 minutes later when I would go... Oh, she was flirting with me. Yeah. Oh my god, that woman wanted to have sex with me in some way. Or worse, as we'll see. Uh, <laughs> one of the unnerving things about this film is it it's a role reversal here, isn't it? You know, we've got a woman yes. dressed, you know, very seductively or arguably trashily, and she's driving a white van like the archetypal kind of Larry guys kind of mode of transport. And she's predatory, you know, she's driving around, asking guys, winding down the window, speaking to them. It's, it's trying to turn the tables in some ways, isn't it? Did you read the trivia about this in IMDb or no, anything? No. So according to the trivia about this film, they filmed these sequences where they're speaking to men on the street, like candidly. You know, they put hidden cameras in the van, and Scarlett Johansson, therefore, must have driven the van up to guys, wound the window down, and spoken to them. Wow. Which is amazing, and again, a testament to Scarlett Johansson's effort in this in this production. She's also got this like cut glass English accent. That yes, she uses. yeah, really works as well. She's not messing around, but mostly she just stares at them in a really kind of semi-seductive way, doesn't she? Well, there's huge amounts of you know brooding, you know, sexual silence that yes. goes on in this film. Yes, definitely. Well, eventually she manages to pick up a guy who 
she gives she offers him a lift and I think there's been a football match on so there's a guy in a football scarf oh, he's a second guy isn't he no I don't think so oh well other guys might get in the van but this yeah. is the first oh, one we see with what you. happens yes, yes, yes you're right. right so I think he's the second guy she picks up now I wonder whether these are guys random guys on the street surely they can't be no because then we see Unless- them kind of naked later very naked, yeah. Very naked and quite erect. <laughs> Actually, yes, that was a shocker, wasn't it? We're just saying that Short Bus was one of the films that led the way to you being allowed to see an erect penis on British cinema screens. Yeah, but I mean, that was kind of like it wasn't. It wasn't like bulgingly, pumpingly erect, was it? On short, what's it called? Short Bus. It was just stuck up. Whereas these seem to be like straining. These are these are on the tiptoes, you know what I mean? One of them when he's walking through the water, it's you know it, it can't it couldn't it's almost bursting out of his coat. This one, you know, so that was quite. It was like you know fully fully erect. So there we go. But these guys, let's be real here. These guys are kind of hypnotized because what happens is she drives the white van back to her place. I mean, if you're sitting in a van and you've just been picked up by a seductive person and. You know, they promise to give you a lift, but they're actually taking... Presumably there's been some discussion about coming back to my place, or you just shut up and go, okay, this is what's happening. As a bloke, I think you might just shut up and not necessarily... Just shut up, yeah. Well, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. do you know what I mean? Like, if your neighbour says, hey, would you like to come and... Would you like to come and help me, you know, put this bed up? Or would you like to come and help me knock down this wardrobe? Are you supposed to think that's a come on? You're not allowed to, are you? Because that would be you being filthy behind it. So I think, like, you know... If you're a bloke getting in a van with a woman, I'm not sure you're allowed to think to yourself that, wait a minute, something something rumpy-pump is going to happen as a result of this. <laughs> She's just being flirtatious and friendly. So we're dangerously there's a, there's autobiographical denial, are we, at this stage. Yeah. But is that- unless, unless she puts her hand on your... <laughs> so unless she puts her hand on... Which you always do that. <laughs> it's... So, Unless she puts her hand, her hand on your knee in the van, I'm not sure but that you. The other know thing is, guys, I don't. You know, guys are not trained to think that there are predators out there, so it probably doesn't occur to you to be nervous or concerned about about being driven to the wrong place. And you're probably, you know, let's face it, these guys are probably completely, in, you know, enraptured by Scarlett Johansson speaking in an English accent next to them. But what happens when the guy gets there is she opens the door into her place, she leads the way, and they find themselves in a completely black, featureless region. And it's a, a glossy, shiny floor. Yeah. And so Scarlett Johansson is set, walking deeper into this space, taking her clothes off, and they follow, stripping for themselves. And at the point where they're naked... They sink into this black substance, this liquid floor, apparently suddenly now liquid. Very creepy and very much like a, a music video. And then, <laughs> a bit like a Queen music video for some reason, I thought. Yeah. And then as soon as they're gone, she walks back, picks up her clothes, puts them back on. You get this, you know, high tension strings music that's underscoring the weirdness of what's just gone on. So shall we go through the men that, that end up with her or not with Well, her. the next guy, slightly different. It's a swimmer. It's a guy, yeah, it's a guy on the beach. Oh, yeah, this would be right up your alley, wouldn't it, Paul? It's a guy on the beach, isn't it? She's standing on his... <laughs> she's standing on his towel, uh, or by his towel. <laughs> and I think he says he's from the Czech Republic when he gets out of the water. 
Really? I think that's what he says, yeah. Yeah. As they're chatting... Soon their mindless chat is interrupted, though. That's it? right. They, they look out, and it's a very rough day, very windy. I don't know what you would think about... Very steep, bre- very steep beach, single, a shingle beach with, you know, a very, very, very sharp drop. I wouldn't, you know, the back... The undertow, that's the word, isn't it? The undertow, on the, yes, the undertow on that would be significant, really. And they're looking out, and they see in the water there's a dog and a woman, who's presumably the owner of the dog. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> drowning dogs, I know I shouldn't laugh. No, uh, it's stupid, isn't it? So it many stupid, people you know, drown. Why people would jump in to help a drowning dog? I mean, it's a dog. It's an animal. I know, but they're it's, family it, members, it, aren't they, at some point? I know, but if an animal doesn't have the DNA not to recognise it's not going to rough sea, it shouldn't really be an animal, should it? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Natural selection Domesticated or not. <laughs> domesticated or not, you know, I mean, it's an animal, not a human. I mean, so... It's yeah. going to die anyway. They're just grief... It, just grief packages, aren't they, pets? So look, if mm. your animal goes in the sea and it's rough... Don't save Don't it. try and save it. Just go and get a new one. <laughs> well, it happened to me. It happened to me twice with my Labrador. Oh my god! <laughs> which are the best swimmers? Yeah, they are the best swimmers. Where I grew up, there's a, there's a, a set of rivers, all meeting the River Ribble, uh, and it was flood water. It'd been really heavy rains, and we'd gone on a normal Sunday afternoon walk with the dog, stick, you know, throw stick, blah blah blah, dog fetches. And you know that smell of wet dog? I do know the smell. I remember I, I remember that smell from... What is that smell? Scientists need to look into it. Well, there's a... Hang on, you know, there's a word for the smell of... Uh, like after a wait, rain. Wait. Yes. What is that word? It's a chemical. What is that word? I, I read it yesterday, actually. <laughs> what? I read Why it yesterday is it in, in relation to... Well, no, in relation to... Because uh, it's pollination time at the moment. And of course, there are many flowers that smell like arse, semen and vagina at the moment. <laughs> so it was in reference. It was in reference to how smelly nature is. Paul, that just depends uh, and, which bushes you're hanging around. Yeah. Well, look, look. Okay, so it was in reference. Though it's a garden article. I can find it. Petrichor. If, if I want to. Petrichor. Yes, that's right. And it, it, this is something that humans recognise: the smell of wet earth, and it's to do with uh, fungal fungal spores, I think. However, uh, I I went cycling two days ago. I'll get back to my original story in a second. And I went past big fields of rapeseed oil. Now, if you've ever been past rapeseed oil when it's in oh, blue, terrible pollen stuff. It, well, that, but it also smells of arse. <laughs> oh, it's, do you know, like, if you've ever had, like, sweaty, sweaty arse. A swamp crack. Not necessarily yeah. been, yes, not necessarily been wiped entirely clean. <laughs> that particular smell. Oh, it was just overwhelming. Uh. But I was living, it was a living, I can't remember, in Shenzhen, on the on the border with Hong Kong, but in China, a few years ago. And they've got one flower there, and really, it's just overpoweringly smells of vagina just it's just wow yeah yeah anyway so yeah so we took the dog down the river and it was it was under a bridge a little a little brook that was really in full rage going into the tributary of the ribble not the ribble itself but one of the major rivers that leads into the river and i i my dad threw the stick into the middle of the brook Hmm. not knowing that it was about eight foot deep instead of two foot deep right and the dog was just swept away <laughs> into this huge, now 50-foot-wide river. And he was swept all the way down under the main, under the main uh, arterial road bridge. And somehow he got caught in an eddy there that sort of towed him round to the side, to the other bank, actually, where he kind of got out sort of half, dre- half dead and half drowned. The other time when he was 13 years old, 
and we're already giving him natural remedies for his arthritis in his back leg. But we're at Lake. Oh, well, that would Lake. Worked. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're at Lake Oldswater or Windermere. Not Windermere, but one of those up there. And he started chasing a pack of ducks into the water. You know what ducks are like? They just swim away a little bit and then they'll stop again. So it can, they kind of egged him on. Like <laughs> If they'd just swum away, he would have given up, I think. But they kind of just moved out of his way and then moved out of his way each time he got nearer. And I think he was about 200 yards out and he started looking around. <laughs> Stupid animal. Thinking, oh, I don't think I can get back. And it was quite, it was interesting watching a dog's brain work. He was like, should I do the ducks or should I survive? Should I do the ducks? And he kept looking both ways, like some sort of cartoon, you know. And I think it was too late by the time he decided to turn around because, like, you know, his angle, his angle of dangle, like, he was much more upright in the water. And literally, towards the end, he was about 100 yards away from the shore. He's, he's, he was, like, literally doing a dog paddle. His feet were, like, flapping out of the water. He kept submerging. It was really painful to watch. But both times my father refused to, get, refused to go and save him, which was a sensible the correct thing to do. Thing to do yeah. And somehow he, he did submerge for quite a long time in the lake. But I think he got about 50 yards. I'd taken a lot of water, I think. I was almost dead, but managed to get his feet. Once they can make, make a little bit of contact with the, with the bottom, they can push and, you know, kind of eventually got out and sort of collapsed on the side. He only had another eight months of life anyway, so. Yeah. So don't save your animals when they're drowning. You know, they're animals. If they if they were meant to swim, they would swim. Very wise words. Yeah. And the, it's perhaps the most useful thing we've words. ever we've ever said on the. Uh... <laughs> I'm expecting hate mail and bomb threats at <laughs> any moment now. Richard, uh, we've digressed. Okay. So they jump in. So the woman, well, the woman is floundering in heavy swell, and her husband, yes, is, husband. is chasing after her. She's in heavy swell because she's trying to save a dog that can't be saved. The Czech guy, who's in a wetsuit, and is obviously pretty good at swimming. Jumps in after the husband. And he manages to pull the husband back onto the beach. But that's no mean feat. And he's exhausted. Exhausted. But the husband won't let it lie. He's, after all, his wife is drowning and his dog is he's drowning. Dying. So he runs back yeah. in to try and save them both <sighs> again, even though this Czech guy's risked his life to pull him out. And dead. But what's the hook line in all this? It's not this. It's not the drowning itself. It's the fact that on the beach... Is the couple's baby. We don't see that yet, do we? First, uh, first, sorry. W- we find Scarlett Johansson walking purposely up towards the Czech guy. It's really, it's terrifying how she just walks along the beach. She picks up a large pebble from the pebble beach and brains him with it <laughs> and then drags his corpse up the beach past this crying child to the van. And then... And then walks off, yeah? And then, well, presumably she drives. Leaves, leaves the kid. Yeah, they, she leaves the kid. That's And that's another really creepy kind of reversal, isn't it? Because we're seeing a woman who stereotypically we're supposed to expect mm-hmm. to be nurturing and looking after, and she's just ignoring the kid, purposefully and mindfully dragging this unconscious and concussed guy up the beach past this crying child. It's absolutely chilling. And so, then the motorbike guy. So that's guy, number two. The, but this is the other thing that's happening. The motorbike guy shows up at the beach. and he packs, Is he cleaning up after us? Yes, exactly. Skins? So he, ca- he he packs up the tent, presumably, I think that was the Czech guy's tent, maybe? Right. He packs it up. The, he walks past the kid again, leaves the infant, and pisses off. <laughs> <laughs> so we see animals drowning, children abandoned, men cuckolded, robbed. Robbed of their virility, presumably, at some point. And next one. Well, this is... time, we're now back in the van, aren't we? It's night time. 
And yeah, she... I like the next one. This is my oh, favorite. Agreed. But she, she, there's a little scene where she's in the van, like a car of uh, young lads. What do they call them? Boy racers. Revving their engine and stuff. And a guy winds a window down and yells at her. Something quite unintelligible, actually. It's in heavily accented <laughs> Scottish. But you get the gist. She kind of ignores them, though. She drives... There are calls for Scots to be declared its own language, by the way. Well, there's a Scots... It is completely different. When there's you think a about Scots Wikipedia, isn't there? But most of the articles have been submitted by this guy who doesn't speak Scots, he's not Scottish, I think he's an American, uh, living in his mum's basement or something, and just makes up these articles in a language he doesn't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of Billy the Korean? He's, he's a fascination with Scouse English. No. A Korean oh, guy. Billy, Billy, Billy the Korean English teacher. He's an English teacher from Korea. He's, he's a nice guy, but he's like he's obsessed with Scouse accents, but he can't do them. <laughs> he's teaching people. He's teaching people how to speak Scouse. It just, it's quite comical. It's its like Dick Van Dyke meets a scouser kind of thing, meets, meets some Arabian throat singers kind of thing. It's just, it's fabulous, really, because he's so innocent and lovely. And he's a really nice guy, but I just thought I'd throw it in the mix there. Paul, getting back to Under the Skin. What the hell were we? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Scots. So, I, but irrespective of, you know, Americans who want to buy a hotel in Ireland or want to buy some kilts in Scotland... To, to I don't know to satisfy their ancestors on maybe one eighth their family two hundred fifty years ago. <laughs> Aside from that, I think Scots you could say is a different language to English. Yeah. I mean, the vocabulary is really different, but the pronunciation is just off the charts. It's so different, isn't it? She ignores the guys hollering at her, yeah, and she parks up in a car park, gets out. This is where the hen party collects her, and they take her to some sweaty nightclub. Mm. I felt really sorry, sorry for the guy. The next guy, because like you think it would be a really larry guy that she, you know, takes vengeance on, but he's actually just a really nice, lonely guy, isn't he? Well, she chats to him briefly. She goes down a, mm. she exits the hectic part of the nightclub, goes down a sort of corridor on a staircase, and chats to this guy who she recognises having yelled at her, and she obviously seduces him back to the void. Mm. Now, this nightclub, I've got a real sense of wildness in here. I think you're talking about Scotland when you talk about it. Yeah, well, it's it's all of that sequence, isn't it? And, and yeah, there's also the the football fans and stuff, and the footballer that she picks up, and there's some, there's just some really good sort of sort of second unit shots of that Scottish people on the street, isn't there? Yes, that's yeah. sort of scattered throughout this this film. It doesn't get in the way of the dialogue at all, because there is not. So. <laughs> <laughs> So he gets taken back. Unlike yeah. the other victim that we saw. He doesn't die this one. He doesn't drown immediately, does he? In well, apparently, maybe they all don't. Because we see what happens to him Yes, now we go with him. Down. As he submerges. So he winds up floating, just perhaps just underneath the surface, in this you know, deep black kind of water fluid stuff. He's naked. He's floating there. And he sees another body opposite him. The swimmer. And... As he's watching, the skin's kind of like, kind of like, it's kind of wrinkled and wrinkled, maybe and shifting, loosened, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, you can see it's being consumed from the inside, of being sucked out of it, and it ends up sort of, you know, shrinking down like a, <laughs> a yeah, like a an empty milk carton. You're sucking the air out. Of Not it, before he's touched hands with it, you know, like yeah. 
it's like this is so the, creepy in embryo kind of like almost like in uterus kind of like babies at this point this Very sequence strange. had a powerful effect on me I, I was really creeped out by this honestly it's a long time since I've felt anything like that about a film right really really I thought it was really powerful it made me feel peculiar and it just leaves a sort of gossamer skin floating in this fluid doesn't it <sighs> yes it, it was rather rather creepy we then get so, we then get what I think is a depiction of his innards being kind of siphoned out, and it's a very cubic no, 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 esque sequence of kind of this red stuff, and you you don't know what it, it is. is. You're just Kubrick-esque. seeing all of this stuff like past the camera. A lot of like I think they use the side scan shutter or something. Kubrick filming all of the trippy stuff when they were going through the space warp or whatever it was they did. But you get the same kind of thing happening here, and it's really powerfully evocative. And it maybe contributed to my weird, peculiar lightheadedness that I got about this about this bit of the film. Right, okay. So then things get really trippy, Richard. It's the next day. She's driving in traffic. She hears radio reports about the abductions that she's presumably performed on these on these innocent Well, men. more about yeah. the uh, couple found or washed... washed up oh, sorry, yeah, more yeah. about the couple. And then she meets up with the motorbike motorbike guy. He kind of inspects her and makes sure she's all okay in yeah. working order. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But then the freakiest thing happens. Because that, that's all quite mundane, I think. and isn't particularly central to anything. It's just things happening with atmosphere. But then she meets the disfigured guy who's walking to the shop. Is, I think he's going to Tesco's, isn't he? This is Adam Pearson. You know, he's a famous disabled yeah, very famous. activist and stuff. Um, and he, yeah, he's got a disfigured face. Yeah, is that right? Well, he has that. I don't know what the condition is called because it's got a facial tumors. Something it's like tumors, that. isn't it, on the nerves? Isn't it? Is facial disfigurement the right word to say? It? I'm not sure. I probably said that wrong. Apologies if I have them correct it next week. Uh, but anyway, so so yeah, so she picks this guy up and like she's like almost forcing him to forcing him to say that he wants to have sex with her, and he's like, no, not really. I don't think about well, it. Do, this is the amazing thing about this film again, though, isn't it? Because She's obviously not seeing his disfigurement at all. You know, she's... It doesn't... Your beautiful hand. Got yeah, exactly. Hands. So she's... And, and, of course, for him, it, perhaps the first time a woman, or certainly a woman like Scarlett Johansson has perhaps seduced him in that way. Let's be honest. It'd be, it'd be the first time a woman has <laughs> seduced him. They'd be jumping it. off the cliffs like lemons <laughs> to get with it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, she takes him back to her place. And, you know, he goes inside and presumably you assume the same thing has happened. But then you see... Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know. She, I think she just lets him go. Oh, it happens, yeah. but she lets him go. Well, you see, the next thing, you see, you see her observing herself in the mirror. Again, she's clearly, like, fascinated by the form of, you know, humans or ants or animals. I'm not sure. But then the next scene is, yeah, she's releasing him. She's like, maybe she's got the... I don't know if she put him in the van, but... She's letting him go in this field. It's very early in the morning. Naked. He's completely naked, that's right. Poor thing. <laughs> and he has to, like, sort of dash off across the field. When does she get on the bus? Is it after this or not? Or is it before then? The motorbike man, we see him. He's clearly angry. He stops angrily. That's the only way to describe it. Yeah, at, the, at a house. He smashes the window of a car. And you see... As he's doing this, sort of a long shot, and you see Adam is climbing over from the field behind the house into the back garden of the house. And then the next shot you see is the motorbike guy handling a body 
we presume it's Adam's body, oh. into the boot of the car that it smashed the, the window of. And so presumably, again, he's clearing up the mess that uh, Scarlett Johansson has left for him. Incidentally, we never get any names for these characters. I don't think anybody is named in this film. No, no, you're right. In any case, she abandons she abandons the van now, doesn't she? She drives this... she drives to a very foggy spot, and there's some amazing shots. Beautiful, beautiful. Of mist rolling in off the waves on the sea. Absolutely stunning. I mean, it it's filmed partly like a, a tourist guide for r- rural parts of Scotland, isn't it? She drives to a very thickly sort of foggy place and I think she has a walk and this is where she winds up getting the bus eventually isn't it she walks That's right. she's only wearing a she's sodden you know a thin rain sweater. sodden and the bus driver is obviously concerned that she should be wearing something more suitable and for the guess weather guess what the guy next to her strikes up a conversation she takes him home too well no he takes her that's right, house. she's left her house now. Yeah. They go to the shop, they buy bread and eggs and stuff, and I think he cooks for her. They start getting jiggy with it, but then she starts examining her genitals, doesn't she? <laughs> That's right, they try to have sex, but it... She's too interested in her, in, well, in her rose, rose folds. It's, it's clear. I think I read a sort of summary. It wasn't obvious that this was what was happened from the film, but the summary said that he was unable to penetrate her because when she examines ah. herself, she didn't have a vagina. You know, she wasn't finished, as it were, or she wasn't a fully, a fully human female in that sense. I see. Okay, we get to the denouement now, don't, don't we? Like, uh, so does he escape? We're presuming, or he escapes death? Does she? Does he? She leaves it. She leaves him, doesn't she? Yeah. And she goes wandering in a forest. That's right. She runs out into the wild. She winds up in a forest, and there she meets a forestry worker in a yellow. He's a bit creepy. He is creepy. He's a, he's very creepy. How does he achieve that? I don't know. Just by the way, he tries to help a bit too much. And this is the first time, right, where she's sort of vulnerable for the first time. She's yeah. not in the van. She's not been taking guys home and you know drowning them or sinking them into. <laughs> and I. Th- Think she senses a vulnerability because she goes to run to hide in a body, doesn't she? Or a little little shelter where they. That's call right. There's, a, there's a shelter for hikers, isn't there? A body, yeah. And she falls asleep in there, and she's awoken by this guy who's Humping followed her. her, and he's groping her. He's trying to, he's oh, touching he's her, and trying to undress her. So she runs away, and he chases after her through the forest. Uh, he jumps on top of her, and he starts to assault her and he's ripping her clothes off and at some stage he's got some of the clothes off her but he's also sort of scratched her skin and she escapes, stands up and you can see that her skin is now flap- ripped and flapping away. And it's I think that's what makes him run off, doesn't it, really? It's completely black underneath. Like an android, essentially. Exactly, yeah. And so she starts running, she walks away, runs away. He's back. The guy's back. The, she uh, sits the... down and she starts peeling her skin off, off her face. Lumberjack is back though, yeah. And you see underneath her face, you see this completely black skin, sort of contemplating herself. I think she's sitting there. Almost like a silicon, like a hard, like a hard body, not really human flesh. Yeah. And then this but guy, the lumberjacks this... come back, yeah. And yeah, and he he pours uh, petrol all over, her and sets oh fire God. to her. And so the closing... end of movie. Of this film is her running away on fire, 
until she collapses down, and uh, and that's it. She, she ends Cut up as to, a, a pile of a shot of motorcyclists overlooking it all. I think. Yeah, the motorcyclist. He'd been with three other motorcyclists. Clearly, been looking. Yeah, what's for all her. that about? Oh, looking for her, right? And at this point, they they kind of give up. I think because they know that, that she's gone, or they see that she's gone, and that yeah. that was it. So no, no. I mean, no surprise. She's not human. Yeah, she's some sort of alien or some sort of robotic intelligence. I think alien is to be assumed, isn't it? I think so. She's so fascinated by life forms that seem that way. But Paul, it seems like you weren't so much of a fan of this film. <laughs> um, Look, can I just? Say, I wouldn't say not a fan. I mean, it, it, I have to say it's not my cup of tea. I, I think it's a very well-made movie, but it just isn't my cup of tea. I did find it creepy and enjoyably creepy on several occasions. I found it disturbingly creepy, but in a good way, in in an arts film way. Yeah, you know, if we if we decide that art can't be entertaining, it has to be. About more fundamental unsettling, emotions. Unsettling, yeah. I found it productively unsettling <laughs> uh, in in an arty kind of way in several occasions. But it just it didn't gallop along at a pace. Uh, I like the simple story. I'm a real fan of straightforward, linear stories in movies. Uh, it is a but, simple no, it, story. I, I've got to say, I've got to stop you there and just agree. It's a straight up and down the line story, isn't it? It seems yeah. just to be a story about a very creepy alien invasion that's happening. And the way the horror arrives by all of these inversions of, you know, of norms and and the, the horrific fate that awaits the, the the men that succumb to it, assuming we're right that it is really that simple. Is it maybe got a deeper message somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I I enjoyed for about half an hour the fact it was just suffused in atmosphere. And pathetic fallacy, like you know, everything was there to build a mood around the character. Uh, and I love the fact that dialogue was obviously consciously eradicated from the movie almost entirely. Yeah, yeah. But I think after an hour, although I like those ideas, it did begin to wear a little bit thin. You know, it's like, come on, uh, because it's such a simple storyline. I think. Yeah, you're the, right. The bare bones of it all together, it was just skeletal in a certain sort of, sort of way. It wasn't satisfying. It could have been told much quicker. Yes. I'm I'm sure I've seen a short film that's sort of like this. I mean, it's it's a bit of a trope, isn't it? A seductive ali- female, alienoid, female. But it's played in a different way, isn't it? It's, it's played in a very real and a very believable way, you know, where, as opposed to weird science, say, where they... Well, it's not, it's not an alien. It's, it's, a, it's a weird animatronic, hyper-intelligent robot that creators <laughs> in a weird science. But, you know, similar kind of... I, I know what you're saying. Like, you know, it, I think in most of these movies, it becomes uh, an object, objectification of yes, desirable yeah. female according to male terms, doesn't it? Whereas this explicitly isn't that. Yeah, he's, he's a pop video music director, so perhaps it is paper thin. Perhaps it is I think it is paper thin. I mean... But beautifully look, so. I think, I think it's okay. Beautifully so. Yeah. 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 Again, so is Betty Blue. What's the problem with that? No, I've got no problem with that at all. I just think that, okay, if the storyline is this simple and, I mean, as an alien invasion movie, I mean, it's not about that, is it? Therefore, you have to think, is it? Is this allegorical? Is this some sort of, some sort of... Uh, well, it, it uh, is some sort of... It's definitely saying something, right, about sexual politics because of the inversion, the horror of the inversion, the way the predator, you know, hunter becomes hunted kind of thing. And they do yeah. flip that. 
you know, in a way, in in a way, is it not also saying like all these men? They are literally like being completely absorbed into. You know, so it, it is. Uh, it, it's just metaphorical, isn't it? Really. So it's it's alien invasion in the subservience of commenting on on sexual politics in current society. I think particularly the motorbike rider. That's what stops it being a believable alien invasion movie. I mean, what's he? Is he an alien? Is he not an alien? Is he just like a government handler? You know, is, what's going on there? But also, I think him as a metaphorical device, saying he's an enabler or he's you know a controlling almost pimp-like pursuer mm. of a female. I think it makes more sense to, to view the movie like that. But it still remains paper thin, doesn't it? it it's still a Simply Red video, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when Simply Red broke into... First broke into... And they're walking down a fishing village to a gravestone kind of thing. No, I don't. I oh, gosh. I black and white. Simply Red videos. Oh, gosh. It's like... It's a bit like that. You know, it's a bit like... We know Mick Hucknall's never been to Whitby kind of thing. <laughs> We know he doesn't wear ganses and, and white fishermen's woolen vestments, you know. We know they don't sing soul with banjos on a stone on a dry stone wall. Uh, what are they doing, you know? Uh, at that moment of the eighties, mid, mid to late eighties, I think was things got very silly in this kind of like I, I can't I can't express it. This this uh, designer designer arted us, you know. Uh, everybody got really brainlessly arty. I think it is a bit paper thin in that respect, but really nice, you know, really nice postcards. Well, we've got to score it then, Paul, and we've got to start surely with the acting, say. Yeah, the acting was great. I mean, this was almost like cinema verite, particularly the male parts. It was like you had to see these people as down to earth, gritty, real people, and maybe they were plucked off the streets to act. I don't know. Uh, she carries it with star power. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5. To me, Scarlett Johansson is astonishing in this. She's, she's so, uh, you know, self-assured and composed at start and, you know, vulnerable at the end. And uh, it just seems like a really difficult thing for her to have done. So I'm going to give it an 8. Mm-hmm. What about the plot and potential potential allegories and metaphors therein? Yeah, so the only the only downside here, as we've discussed, is it's just maybe too simple. But mm-hmm. it's also its strength, right? So I'll give it I'll give it a seven. Yeah, I I like the the simplicity of the plotting, but I'm not sure I like the simplicity of the ideas that go along with it. Were we supposed to? Is this supposed to be an explosion into human sympathy? The, you know, the way she takes pity on the guy with the facial disfigurement and but she's already killed then so like it doesn't her character doesn't work as somebody who's building up sympathy and pity for other people i think we're so. i think we're given to understand that she is it's just so cold she's becoming know? more human by interacting but i mean she is but it's never going to be a real human is it because she's like she's killing people kind of thing do you know what i mean so i don't think it works on that level like you know to say hey well, when we're born, we're all just we're all just brain we're all just brain aliens, and we just learn about the world when we come into it. There, like we would all be killing each other if we didn't know any better, kind of thing. I don't know what it's trying to say, and I don't think it's trying to say anything in particular. So, a five for me for the plot. Oh, well, let's do special Picture effects. postcard creep. Oh, sorry, special effects and action. Shall we do? Is that an appropriate category? Yeah, special effects. I mean, they were quite dilute, I think, and. Uh, uh, they were kind of meted out 
not very generously. But then again, that's the start of the movie. So I'm going to go seven on this. So the, the the sequence underwater that we mentioned and those those bits yeah. in those spaces. No, it worked. It was really creepy. Yeah. yeah. So I'll give it an eight for its special effects. Okay. Can I pick the last one, which is picture postcard creepiness? The chill factor. Yeah. 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 Like this movie is not a jump scare horror. No. And it's not not a paranormal horror. In the it's not a spooky ghosty horror. It is. I find it extremely chilling, and it has a mood. It has a really strong mood all the way through. So I'm going to give it a nine. Was it flesh creepingly, skin crawlingly, icky at times for you, or not? Oh, uh, not, not really. Uh, one of the things about this film, though, is you could. I think you could easily imagine yourself in it. Oh, Richard, that's an awful thought. <laughs> right. I mean, it was. It was creepy, and it was a little bit scary. Uh, however. It's also a bit boring at times, so I'm going to score it 7.5 for creepiness. Overall, then, would Overall? you recommend this, Paul? I would, but not to the extent that other people think it is a modern classic. I'm, I'm going to score 7.5. Some is greater than the parts. Definitely recommend, but it isn't up there in any top 100 list from any decade or from any century. Really? I think mm. it is a classic. I just... Maybe it is a little bit thin. What, is there with Psycho? Is there with Casablanca? It's there with... Oh, sorry, you don't like E.T., do you? No, uh, it's there E.T. with uh... This <laughs> film... This is E.T. for me. This is E.T. In my list of, to... of best movies. Wait, wait, wait. I've just got a correction, okay? I'm not a correction. Addendum. I watched E.T. by chance. It was on some plus one. It was ITV 3 plus one, whatever. And I'm sorry, Richard. Look... <laughs> They're on. They're in the Hollywood Hills. They're on Mulholland Drive. Okay, okay. it's a new build on Mulholland Drive. Right, and the beginning of the Adam Project is really, really similar. Yeah, so similar. Listen, this is completely the wrong segment of the show to be, be doing. I know, story. I know, I know, I know. Edit I'm, I'm going to give this film an eight. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew you liked it. It's good. It's a good film, uh, but maybe a, a touch thin. But you know. As, as a visual treat, it's good. Yeah. This one, definitely for the widescreen. Get it on HD, crank up the volume, turn the lights down, and enjoy being creeped out. All right. Now, listen, Paul, last week uh, we rejected one choice offered, and it was a choice added because you've been reading the book by P.D. James called... I have it right here. The Children of Men. The Children of Men. And so the film adaptation... Called Children of Men. Children of Men will be watch for next. That's it. It is what we're going to watch next. And if you want Kubrickian movies, this is it. I don't. I don't agree. But we can talk about that next. Oh, week. let's talk about it next week. Until the next <laughs> week. Thank you for listening. <laughs> it's been great, guys. See you on the next one. Ciao for now. Goodbye. Bye bye. Thank you.